We are in Ruth, so open up your Bibles to Ruth, open up your app or whatever you have to Ruth, and uh, we're going to be in Ruth uh, 2, 1 through 13 this morning. It's a good one. We're talking about Boaz, ladies, all right? <laughs> okay, let me read Ruth 2, 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went, to, uh, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She she said, "Please uh, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and... She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. For your eyes, uh, let your eyes be on the field that, uh, that they are reaping and go, and go after them. Have I not charged uh, the young men not to touch you? And when, she, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink the and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you uh, for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the hearing of your word this morning, that you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. May we uh, put it in our hearts. May we... Um, understand what he, what you have written here. May you use me to effectively communicate the truths found in this scripture. May you change our lives because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, who who's like a, a coffee drinker? Okay. We're in, we're in Seattle, right? Okay. Um, no, who's like the, like a real coffee drinker like don't talk to me before I have my cup of coffee type of person. Um, that's, that, would be, that would be me. I asked, I asked Amanda, uh, I said, what am I like before I have a cup of coffee? She's like, well, you usually just, like, just maybe look at me or give me one-word answers. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, the happiest person in the morning. Anybody else like that? Like, if you don't have your cup of coffee, you're like Cruella de Vil. Like, but after you have your cup of coffee, you know, you're like maybe like a, a Disney princess. I don't know, right? It's just, it's okay. We're in Seattle. It's, it's, it's all right. And okay, how many of you guys drink just straight up black coffee? Nothing else in it. Yes. I love it. You guys are my kind of people. See, uh, 
there are some people out there, we might know them, you might be one of them, you just do not talk to them before they have their cup of coffee, right? Because you're just going to get angry, one word, snarls. Some wives are like looking at their husbands right now. like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel for Ruth at the beginning of, of this chapter because we left Ruth and Naomi and Ruth was bitter. She, she told everybody around her, do not call me, or sorry, Naomi was bitter. She said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for that means bitter, because I am angry. I am bitter before God. So we have Ruth living with Naomi, who's just angry. Have you ever just been with someone who's just, just angry and they want to be angry? This, this is where we, we pick up a short little background. Um, uh, uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech travel to Moab. Moab was not a good place. God did not want them to go there, as far as we can tell. And uh, bad things start happening to them, and uh, they have two daughters, or sorry, two sons, and their, their sons marry two Moabite women. One of them was Ruth. Everybody dies. Elimelech dies. Their, their sons die. All that's left are Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And Ruth alone follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, and Naomi, who, who left full, comes back empty-handed, Okay. So that's where we pick up the story. Naomi is upset at God. She's probably upset at her circumstances. And we have Ruth who is showing love to Naomi and, and she does what, all, whatever she can do. She just says, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to glean in the fields. Uh, uh, gleaning in the fields, it, it was something that God had instituted for the poor. This shows the uh, sort of state that Ruth and Naomi were in. This is, this is, uh, this is what it says in, in verse one, 1 through 3. We just read it. It says, uh, uh, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the, uh, of the clan of Elimelech. And then Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain, after whose sight I shall find favor. There's a few things in here that we can pick out. One, it shows how desperate they were. Here's what gleaning was. You'd go through the fields and, and they would pick up the grain and then, you know, as, as you're bundling up the grain, you might drop a few. And uh, what gleaning was is you would go after the people who, had, who, had, who, were, who were picking up these grain and if they had dropped any, you would pick it up. So you would get one, maybe two. But there was dozens of people out in the fields, dozens of poor widowed people out in these fields who were trying to pick up these extra uh, ears of grain. Okay, so it wasn't like you were getting a ton of food out of it. It, it, it shows that they were starving. It shows that they were uh, completely destitute, without money, most likely, maybe even without a home. They didn't. They, we know later from the story they don't own any land. So they're, uh, Ruth and Naomi are, are really up against it. They, they don't. They have no, really, no way out. So Ruth says, I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to go out with all of these widows and all these poor people and I'm going to glean from these uh, farmers, okay, these reapers. And this is what God says, and you don't have to turn there, in Deuteronomy 24, 19. This is what God instituted. He says, 20, Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner the fatherless, and the widow. And the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is what God had instituted. God instituted this, this uh, rule 
And he says, hey, when you're out farming and you forget some food out there, don't go out and get it. Leave it for the poor, the widow, and the destitute, and the fatherless, and the people that are walking through your land that are homeless. So, so that what this says about it is that, that God cares about the poor and the widow. God cares about those who are in tough situations. If you wonder why we care about those who are in tough situations, if we, why we have a heart for the poor, the widow, the destitute, the foreigner, the people that are homeless, the people that are maybe coming through our land that are displaced, it's because God has a heart for the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the people who are displaced, the people who are in tough situations. So that means when, when we see someone who has been displaced out of their country, We have a heart for them because God in Scripture mandated that we have a heart for them. He says, this is my heart. This is, I care for the people who are displaced, the people who are forced out of their country. I care about them. I care for them. So you care for them. But it shows how desperate their state was. And gleaning was not a, you were not getting like a ton of food to put on your table for weeks on end. You were getting maybe a little bit of food for that night. So Ruth and Naomi are starving. Man, they, they, things are not great for them, right? It's almost like they've gone from bad to worse. At least they're in their homeland, but they're, they're not doing well. But Ruth, in this situation, is like the eternal optimist. I love it. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't know what, uh, what field she would end up on. All that she knew was that, hey, there is a God and, and maybe I'll find favor with him and, and maybe he will put me in a field and direct me to a field that, that I can uh, find prosperity and find some, uh, some, extra, some extra food for us. She says, let me go and see which field I end up in, and maybe, maybe some farmer, maybe some landowner will have favor on me. She's like the eternal optimist. I just feel like, man, what a stark contrast between Naomi, who's like, it's over, I'm done, I'm just giving up, call me bitter, and Ruth, who says, there's a chance, there's still hope. Let me go out and, and, and see what, what will happen. She had faith in the midst of a tough, difficult situation. I think we all know what that's like. How hard is it to have faith when things are going well? But then when things are tough and difficult, Ruth had faith then. See, God took Ruth's faith and optimism and turned it into her blessing. So I want to say to you right now, if, you're, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're in a tough place, if you feel like things aren't going well for you, remember Ruth. Ruth had faith, and God took that faith and optimism and, and turned it into blessing. I'm not saying that, that you, can, you can command the, your own future and, and you can name it and claim it, but I'm saying that God wants you to have faith, and when we walk in faith, he honors that, just like he did with Ruth. See, we, we, we see from the story that Ruth ended up going out and, and gleaning in the fields, and she wandered into the field of, of Boaz. She, she was in the right place at the right time, but it was not by accident. She was in the right place at the right time, but it was not by accident. It was by providence. The, 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 the message here is our actions, God's providence. See, 
providence is, uh, is when God is in control of something. We, we see that Ruth goes out. We see that Ruth goes out, and, uh, and she stumbles upon the field of Boaz because that's where God was leading her, directing her. Providence means that God is in control. This is a, a definition here. It says, Providence is God, the great creator of all things, who upholds all things, directs all things, and disposing of all things, governing all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the least. Providence is, is a big fancy word for God is in control. God is in control of life. God is in control of your life. God is in control of our lives. That There's nothing that takes God by surprise. And it, it is, I, I think it's good news for us, that providence is good news, because providence means that, that we, we believe that God is in control. That, that means we don't believe in deism, which is God is out there, and he set the world in motion, and he just kind of spun it, and he's leaving it to be. And whatever happens may happen, and, and he's just watching from afar, and, and watching our actions, and, our, and, and, and all of our decisions, and he's saying, wow, okay, I'm watching how this plays out. That's not the God we worship. We don't want, worship a deist God. It is not fatalism, which means that we're all set on our fates and, and whatever happens in our lives, we, there is no other way for that to turn out, that, that uh, as we make our decisions, we were automatically, we, we were fated to be a certain way or do a certain thing. We believe in a God that's in control, not fatalism, not deism. We believe that God has control, but we have responsibility. That God has control of, of this life in this world, but we are responsible for our actions. See, providence in, in a day-to-day life, providence looks like this. When, I'm, when I am a student at Northwest University my sophomore year, and uh, I, I think I might want to do youth ministry, and uh, I'm studying English because I studied youth min- I, I declared a youth men major for about a week before I realized, well, wow, this is a really silly major to declare because it's preparing me to make PowerPoint slides and lead church games. So I, I'm like, okay, I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't declare a youth men major. Maybe I should declare something a little bit broader. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do English because they gave me a really big scholarship for English. So I'm like, okay, hey, God wants me to be an English major. Um, so I'm, I'm studying English and because I, I enjoy it, I enjoy reading and writing. And this is what, this is what Providence looks like. I'm, I'm studying English, but all the while I'm like, man, I, I really, I really feel this call on my life. I really feel this desire to work with youth, to be a youth pastor. And, uh, and I'm sitting in this coffee shop on campus at Northwest University. And, uh, I'm, I'm drinking a cup of coffee before class and I'm sitting with one of the big English major heavy hitters. You know, there's those people that are in every single class. They're at the top of every class and every teacher, every professor knows them and they're really good at what they do. I'm, t- I'm, I'm meeting with one of these English students and, and uh, I'm talking with them and I'm like, man, it's really cool getting to, getting to know this guy. And I ask him, hey, so what, what else do you do? He says, well, actually, I'm a youth pastor. I'm like, really? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, it's just like a part-time thing. Um, I don't know. I'm a youth pastor at a really small church up in Mill Creek. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, yeah, I'm actually leaving. Um, I don't know if you might want to, if you might be interested in applying, but yeah, I'm actually, I feel like I need to step out of that. And I was having coffee with Randall Templin. <laughs> I don't know if you know Randall, but he used to be the, he was, he was the youth pastor here a long, long time ago. And, and he said, yeah, dude, you should totally apply to be the youth pastor of Northview Community Church. And I'm a sophomore, and I'm thinking, wow, 
that name's cool. Maybe I could. But now I'm like, no, I, I need to finish. I really feel like I need to finish school first, and God will open up doors. And, and, uh, and you know, that's a really, like, a really awesome opportunity. He was telling me about the church, and he said, yeah, it's a really crazy pastor. I'm like, oh, that sounds like I, I would fit there. And, and uh, <laughs> But I don't apply, and it's my sophomore year, and, and, you know, time goes by. I end up getting another job at work for Youth for Christ, and, and you know what happened a few years later? I applied to be the youth pastor at Northview Community Church. That's providence. That's God working things out and saying, no, I want you here. Can you notice providence in your own life? Can you notice providence, how God has directed things in your own life? It is good news uh, about providence. It is good news that God is in control. First, it's good news because we can trust God in, uh, is, control, is in control, not powerless. This means that our prayers mean something. How awesome is it that we're not throwing up prayers to a God that is distant and not really paying attention? If we're, if we're worshiping and we're praying to a God that's in control, that means our prayers mean something. It gives me hope because it, make, it makes me feel good that I'm praying to a God that, that knows what's going on. It's good news because it means that God loves us. Imagine this. If providence means that God is in control and he's aware of all things, it also means that he's aware of every single shortcoming in your life, every single bit of sin in your life. Every single mess up, every single, every single time you didn't do what you were supposed to do, every single time that you did something you weren't supposed to do, God knew about that. And yet he still loves you in spite of all that? That makes me feel good. That may, that's good news for us. God loves us in spite of knowing everything about us. He says love is great. It's good news because it means that we can relax. Sometimes we get so uptight about the way things are going to turn out. And I'm not saying take your hands off life and don't make any decisions, don't think about your decisions. What I'm saying is use your brain to the best of your ability, pray to God and ask for help, and then make your decision with confidence and say, you know, God's in control. It means that in the deepest, darkest time of your life, when you're hurting, when you're experiencing loss, when you're experiencing pain, when you feel like things are just not going your way, God is standing right there because he's aware of it and he says, I've got you. I'm here. That's good news. God is in control. God is aware. Nothing takes him by surprise. And Ruth didn't stumble into Boaz's field on accident. That was the hand of God at work. And friends, let me tell you, God's hand was at work in, in Ruth's life. God's hand is still at work in your life today, whether you feel it or not. We, we go on and read here. Ruth 2, 4 through 7 says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who, is in charge of the, who was in charge of the reapers? Who is this young woman? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back from, uh, with Naomi from the country of Moab. We have Boaz coming, and ladies, okay, let's be honest. If you've read Ruth before, you're like, man, Boaz, that's the, that's the guy. 
right? When I think of Boaz, uh, the first picture that comes to my mind is like Fabio or something, right? But this is, this is a picture that, that uh, I originally had Gaston up there, but I was like, but uh, Gaston is, I guess, not a, he's not a good guy. So, so this is Prince Eric, right? And I'm like, man, look at that jawline and those deep blue eyes, right? And I don't know. When I, when I think of Boaz, uh, I think of, man, he's a good-looking dude in Scripture that was just a, uh, a, a, a obviously, he makes great decisions. And, and he, uh, we know from, we can, we, can, we can know a few things from the story here about Boaz. First thing we, we can know is that he was kind. He was really kind because uh, uh, he, he owned a lot of land and he had, some, he had some farm and he had some field. And, and it says that he went out into the field and talked with his workers. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? If, if you're a business owner, if you manage people, learn from Boaz. He went out and he talked with his workers. He said, he went out and he said, hey, God bless you. And he was out in the fields with them, and, and they responded in kind and said, the Lord bless you. That means he had a relationship with his workers. Isn't that cool? So Boaz was kind to the people that he uh, was managing. He was kind to his employees. That's a good thing. We can learn from that. We know that he was wealthy because he had a large field. He had multiple workers. He was a wealthy man. He was well thought of, and he, uh, he was known in the community and in the city. We, we learned this from later on, that, that people knew Boaz. So we got a wealthy, good-looking, kind person. Yeah, no wonder Ruth is like, oh, all right, I'm happy to be in this field. We also know, we can, we can guess that um, he was probably older he probably wasn't a, a 20-year-old, 25-year-old dude. He's probably an older dude, and we don't know why he wasn't with anybody. Maybe he was socially awkward. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he was single, and he had some land, and he had some money, and he was really nice. Okay, Contrast that with, with Ruth for a second. Ruth comes stumbling into this field, and, and she is not from Bethlehem. She's not from the area. She's poor. She's homeless. She's dirty. She hasn't maybe eaten very much. She might be skinny. She's been working all day. She's sweaty. She's got her hair up in a crazy messy bun, right? And she's out in the field, and she probably doesn't feel very confident about herself. Okay, I, I'm not I really, she's like, I'm not really supposed to be here. Everyone knows I'm from Moab. I'm a foreigner. I don't really belong here. I'm dirty. I'm messed up. I'm, I'm sure no one wants to talk to me. I just want to get my few ears of grain and then, and then call it a day. So we got Boaz, who is a kind man, and we have Ruth, who is who just doesn't belong. See, this is us before we met God. This is us before we met God. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. Uh, Cameron, could you get that up there? Yeah, thank you. Uh, it says this. It says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the co- uh, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is, a, this is describing you and me before we met Jesus Christ. This is describing you and me before Jesus has paid for our sins. This is you and me before God. We were dirty. We were alienated. We were cut off from God. And Jesus Christ brings us to relationship with God. We are Ruth in this story. We are dirty. We are foreigners. We are cut off from the commonwealth of God. We are uh, alienated from God. We are not who we were designed to be. As Ruth is before Boaz, dirty and messed up and alienated and unwelcomed. We come before God, dirty, messed up, alienated, unwelcome, and Jesus says, I'll pay for you, I will take you, I will clean you up. Isn't that amazing? Boaz treats Ruth with such kindness and such grace. Remember, if you remember last week, I said the word kindness was going to be a big symbol in the book of Ruth. Boaz treats Ruth with amazing kindness. In fact, he treats Ruth like God treats us. Boaz treats Ruth with the same grace that God shows to us. Ruth, um, Boaz uh, is an example of God's grace in our life. And Boaz, by, and we see in verse 5, he took notice of of Ruth. He said, and then Boaz said to this young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz notices Ruth. In fact, Boaz takes a step towards Ruth. God took a step towards us. We, we couldn't come to God. We couldn't take a step towards God. And God saw that and noticed us and said, I'm going to take a step towards you. Just like Boaz noticed Ruth, God notices you, dirty and messed up, and he extends an arm of grace to you. Boaz speaks to Ruth. Boaz speaks to Ruth. He says, then Boaz said to Ruth. Do you realize that we could not speak to God without Jesus Christ? Scripture says he is the great mediator between God and man. That without Jesus Christ, we can throw up prayers, but it is only by Jesus Christ that those prayers reach God. That God then speaks to us. He's the one that initiates to us. He first loved us. We did not first love him. He took a step to us because we were unable to take a step towards him. That is the very essence of grace. If you're trying to get to God on your own, you will fail time and time and time again. God reaches out to you. Just like Boaz reached out to Ruth. And then Boaz shows desire for Ruth. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field leave, uh, and leave this one, but keep close to my young women. He shows a desire for Ruth. When she was undesirable, God shows a desire for you when you are undesirable. When we're messed up and dirty, God said, I want that. I want you. I know that you don't think much of yourself. The world doesn't think much of you. I know what you are deserving of, but I want that. I want you. 
Ruth was undesirable. But Boaz looked at Ruth and said, yeah, you know what? Don't leave any other field. Stay here. This is a good place. I will protect you. Unmerited, unearned, undesirable. And then Ruth, or Boaz gives unmerited favor and blessing towards Ruth. In verse 9 and 10, it says, let your, eyes, uh, let your eyes be on this field that you are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink, uh, drink what the young men have drawn. How amazing is this? The thing with gleaning out in the field. If you were a single woman out in the field gleaning, it was a dangerous thing. Because there were men out there. There were, people, there were reapers out there gathering up uh, the grain and... Uh, <laughs> And it was a dangerous thing, a, a, a young woman unprotected. So, so Boaz says, do not leave this field. Do not leave this field. Because uh, I, I have charged my young men not to touch you. You are safe here. And then, in addition, when you're thirsty, we have all the water you need. I want to bless you for being here. Why? No reason. Unmerited favor. That is grace, unmerited favor. Uh, a, another theologian, he put it this way, just a very succinct way of saying it. It says, grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. What does that ill-deserving mean? Ill-deserving means that, not that we were just standing, we had disobeyed God and we were standing in one place, but that we were actively walking away from God and he went to pursue us. Ill-deserving means that we were actively against God, that our actions were um, in direct contrast to God's plan, that we were committing cosmic treason against God. We were walking away from God and grace is free, sovereign favor, free favor poured out on you to the ill-deserving, those who did not deserve it whatsoever. And God pours out favor on you and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to draw you near me even though you are walking away from me. This is good news because it means that God initiated love for us. It means that, that, that while we were dirty and unclean and messed up and, and, and really had no thought of coming to God and coming in relation to God, God saw us and pursued us. Scripture says, Scripture refers to us as prostitutes continually going out against God and selling ourselves and saying, I know what I'm worth, but I'm just going to keep going back and I'm, and I'm going I'm to think of myself dirty. And God says, no, I want you and he's going to keep coming after you. This is the grace of God. And this is exactly how Boaz treats Ruth. You don't deserve anything, but I'm going to give you everything. And all we have to do is turn around and see the face of God. He's right there. I just absolutely love how Boaz treats Ruth. It gives me a picture of God's grace in my life. And here's what we can take out of this. Are we treating others with grace around us? Are we treating others with with grace around us? Are we being God's grace to people around us?
shame on us if we, if we hold others to a standard that God does not hold us to. Shame on us if we make people feel like they're not worthy to be here or they're not worthy to come before God. Shame on us if we make other people feel like they need to clean themselves up before they come to God or before they come to church. Because God says, you're messed up, you're dirty, and I took you as you were. You were walking away from me, and I grabbed you, and I brought you back. I showed you grace. I showed you love when you did not deserve it. And here's what happens. As we begin to look at the grace of God, as we begin to look at, at, uh, at how good God is and how much love that he's bestowed on us, it's like, it's, I, I get this picture of a, of a mountain. I took this picture off my, off my wall in my office, and it's, um, you guys can see it great, I'm sure. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's some students inner tubing at, at Alder Lake, right? It's on, it's on the wall in my office, and they're having a good time, and uh, it's, I think it's Luke Doton and Emma, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So, right, you got some people on here. They're really small, and they look really young. So it was probably a, ways, a few years ago. But they got, uh, we have Mount Rainier in the background. And God's grace is like Mount Rainier, right? And, and when you're, if you've ever been to Alder Lake, uh, it's just gorgeous views of this mountain. And, and uh, I don't know if you guys have been driving down, uh, I don't know if you guys have been driving down um, 405 and, and you can see Mount Rainier maybe on a clear morning. And it's just gorgeous, right? And then, I don't know, maybe you've been driving all the way down and maybe your final destination is down in Redmond or something and you're on, now you're on 520 and you're driving and, and have you ever noticed how much bigger that mountain appears? We can all, we, we have gorgeous views of the Cascades like um, maybe like two times a year. And uh, we, so we all know what these mountains look like, right? And as we get closer, for me, it's like, man, I, I always forget how big that mountain actually is. So I'm holding up this picture right now and, and this is, you can maybe tell that there's a mountain here. This is like God's grace. God's grace towards us as, as we look at it from afar, like, wow, that's, that's really big. That's really majestic. That's really awesome. As we get closer and closer, you throw up that picture, Cameron, it just gets bigger and bigger, right? Until we're at the foot of this mountain looking up and say, wow, God's grace is majestic. God's grace is bigger than I ever imagined. Let's draw near to God and experience God's grace because it is life-changing. Let's pray. Father, I, I would ask that you would help us understand your grace. You'd help us understand your providence. You'd help us to see how um, amazing your love for us is that as we were dirty and ill-deserving that you walked after us and you chased after us and you called after us and by your grace that we have come back to you. Jesus, would you give us, uh, would you give us opportunity to share your grace with those around us? Would you give us eyes to see how we can affect the world around us? Jesus, would you use us to bring your love and grace into the lives of people that we see every day. Would you draw us close to your mountain of grace so that we can stand at the bottom and look up and see just how amazing it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.